You're listening to the Uncensored Direct Marketing Show. This show is designed for direct response marketers who want raw, unfiltered conversion tips and secrets to scale their offers profitably to reach their next million. I'm Maria Sparagas. I'm the founder of Direct Paynet and your host. Now let's dive in. Welcome everybody to another episode of Uncensored Direct Marketing. Today I have Nathan Young. Nathan is the Vice President of Find Your Audience Online. He leads marketing teams to operational efficiency. Nathan's finance background with years of experience in management consulting ensures projects are delivered on time and on budget, uh, like most of you like. And he also makes sure that you have a realistic scope to your projects, which is very interesting and sometimes not very common in the marketing space. So Nathan regularly consults for very large companies such as Constellation Software, Firm X, Procon, and just a whole bunch of different large real estate developers. So Nathan knows a thing or two about uh, making sure your operations and marketing are very efficient. And welcome uh, on the show, Nathan. Thank you so much, Maria. Awesome. So, um, I mean, let's hop right to it because this is a very hot topic. Marketing and managing, you know, management and finance are all seeming to intertwine. And now we're we're starting to see in the industry a lot of new roles, I should say, created that we didn't see, like new key keywords, CRO, CMO, and you know, operations, this and so forth. So, um, can you tell me a little bit about you know, just based on your experience when you're starting? to build a marketing team um who are the key individuals that we need to hire i mean you know let's say you know you're you're kind of getting started like do you hire a media buyer first do you go for a copywriter like what are the biggest bang for your buck in your opinion yeah i think i think it's really it i hate to say this but it, it is dependent it's it's very dependent on the industry that you are and the type of customers that you have Predominantly for a lot of SaaS-based businesses, I do really recommend that you hire a product marketer first. And they go, why would I hire a product marketer first? And it's always because I, I mentioned to a lot of clients, it's like, just because you have subscriptions right now, doesn't necessarily mean you have product market fit. Likely what it means is you have a bunch of early adopters who have agreed to purchase your product. And that's not scalable. You really want to have someone who's accountable for kind of the customer and product feedback loop. And that's going to be your product marketer. You can't depend on your sales people to do that. The salesperson's not going to do that. For other types of organizations that are predominantly like product related, like physical product related, potentially yeah. a media buyer is going to be kind of your best bet. And when I say a media buyer, you might hear other words like a demand generator or a performance buyer. So the, you, at the end of the day, let's not focus on the title. Let's look at the responsibilities. You really yeah. want someone who has really hands-on experience in implementing funnels and implementing ads on the, the particular channel of which you are currently hopefully successful at. So if you're looking to scale your Google ads, you need to find someone who's actually set up Google ads accounts from scratch. If you're doing Facebook or Instagram, you want to do the same. If you're doing Snapchat, you want to do the same. If you're doing TikTok, you want to do the same. And as much as that sounds like common sense, I would say it's quite often that you'll find people who say that they have bought ads, but anyone can set ads. That's that's the point. It, like The whole point is these, the ad ecosystem is made so that anyone can set ads. You want to find someone who knows how to manipulate the ad system. That's okay. the goal. 
right? Well, and that's I mean, a person. Yeah. Just going on the point that, you know, the world is set up and conspires for you as a business owner to, to or anybody to buy ads on these platforms. Like Facebook doesn't want to make it difficult for you to buy ads. They want you to buy ads. Google the same. So, I mean, definitely um, just saying I bought ads is, you know, it's, it's not really a great qualification, but, you know, I, I would kind of take it a step further and also say, you know, somebody who's converted ads, like what is your conversion rate for these ads, I think would be a very interesting thing, I guess, to ask. But I, the, just in my experience, you know, we work with a lot of direct response merchants at Direct Payment. And, you know, whenever I'm introduced to a media buyer, the next question or the next comment of whoever I'm speaking to is never tell anybody who my media buyer is, like swear to death, because if if he gets poached, I'm going to or she, I will get very, very upset. So, you know, going from that is that, you know, media buyers are obviously very valuable. But in my experience, a lot of media buyers, they they tend to jump ship quite easily because, you know, if they if they get good at something, they can have their own offers and so forth. So what is a type of, let's say, compensation package or how do you keep these people engaged to stay with you once, you know, they've gotten good at, uh, you know, promoting your your product? That's a great question. And and I I don't know if my bio, I, I was also an affiliate media buyer for a long time. I was, quote, okay. unquote, a super affiliate at, at one point with my team. And the reality is you do have to treat them quite fairly. There's a science and an art to media buying. And I think at one point in time, I remember when I was with my team, we were managing over 122 campaigns, which we were optimizing every single day. And I don't think people quite understand how nuanced and how detail-oriented media buying can be in order for it to actually be very profitable, especially on the affiliate perspective where I'm taking a delta between the offer cost and also the media cost. You have to cut them in. Um, Unless you know and want to take care of that detail and really learn it to the end. It's kind of like hiring a programmer. Do you, do you want to, you can, you can go ahead and program. Anyone can learn how to program. Do you want to hire that, you know, or be that person? That's, that's a choice. A media buyer is like the best programmer. And if you have the best programmer for the one specific problem that you're trying to solve and you decide to not compensate them, they're going to leave because they are a sought after asset. Um, there are very, very few people in, in my professional career that I have landed who have generally run large complex campaigns, especially on a super affiliate level and yeah. actually really understand the nuances of tracking, uh, the nuances of target selection, the nuances of how to slice the strategy of your campaign and the campaign setup, which are incredibly important to the success of the campaign. Um, Just even putting the conversion pixels in properly or even using a third-party tracking platform that's going to track native traffic things, not just the the attributions that you can target within the platform. People don't even know that exists, right? Like people don't even know that I can get a tracking platform that's going to be like, you're coming from Rogers from a Samsung phone running this operating system. And I can split that traffic any which way to any different landing page I want. And so if you want to compensate them, then compensate them well, or you have to be just honest and be like, do you want to learn this? Um, So I would 100% just performance orientate them um, you know, really drive them KPI oriented in, in different KPI oriented ways. And, you know, if they're really, really that great, you might want to partner with them on another offer um, mm-hmm. because because they are hard to find. So, I mean, the interesting thing that you mentioned is, you know, you you have a background in this. 
Um, and, you know, you gave us some key tips for people who are listening, who are, you know, kind of maybe newish or in the industry in different capacities. How does one learn how to be a media buyer? I mean, I don't know of any university or any, you know, formal education uh, institution that offers this type of stuff. So like, how did you learn this? What what are the, the common, you know, places to get good information to, to start getting good at this? There's a lot of misinformation, and that's what I'll start off. And there's yes. a lot of snake oil salesmen, that's for sure. What I would recommend is you just really get your hands dirty. And the way I say that is go find an affiliate offer, go spend $10, $30, $40, $50 a day, whatever you can afford, and make that one single campaign profitable. And why I say that is I learned through affiliate kind of um, the affiliate model and, and media buying at scale that every offer works on any channel, but it really just okay. depends on how well you target and how good your creative is, how good your landing page is, and how good your offer or form for submission for con conversion is. And if you can master one single campaign, um, even if it's at small scale, then the likelihood is you can be a decent media buyer. Okay. A lot of media buyers don't do well because they don't actually know that every offer can convert on any channel. And what I mean by that is put like the most male-orientated truck masculine item and sell it on Pinterest, which is predominantly a mid 30 to 50 uh, female audience. You can find a funnel that works. But are you going to put the effort to find that funnel? And uh, and if you can, so, then you become. Let me interject here. Are you saying that's a good path? Like meaning, do something completely opposite. Like go onto Pinterest and target a male product to see if you can convert as kind of like almost a test. I, I I find that very fascinating that you said that that you said anything can convert on any platform because I mean I. I see YouTube and I see Facebook and I see the types of products, you know, like on Facebook, I see a lot of these kind of like nutraceutical supplement type things like weight loss and looking good and all that. Whereas on YouTube, I'm seeing a lot more like coaching offers and self-help and business development and all that. So I'm wondering, you know, obviously there's a little bit of overlap, but primarily these are the kind of two big lines. So if, if, if you're saying that, is it, do you have to adjust your strategy, like meaning the way that you market it? Or you're saying you just, you need to know how to target properly. And if you do target properly, anything can convert. So so it's a little bit of the latter. Like, I think the question, just coming back to the question was, how do I learn to be a media buyer? Yeah. And and so what I'm, what I'm saying is, is that if you can learn to do an offer on the most unconventional channel, then you will learn everything you need to know to be a great media buyer. Okay. Um, and 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 that's what I'm saying is is that it's very easy to sell something that is native to a platform. You know, for example, if you were putting ads on Fitbit, sure, selling selling a, a nutraceutical product or a health supplement, that's easy. That's that that's easy. That's not going to make you profitable. You know why? Because also all the other people on that platform are doing the exact same thing. So the question really goes back to this. You know, you said. How do I learn to be good to, good at this? And I would say you got to challenge yourself. And if you can learn all the nuances of what creative angle do I use on Pinterest when I'm selling a masculine product, 
what ad would actually work? What, what, what copy would actually get someone's attention? Maybe I'm not selling it to the end buyer now. Maybe I'm actually influencing the wife or the partner to buy it for this person. And maybe that's the angle. And when you start thinking outside of that box, you know, not the easy, the, 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 the lane of least resistance, that's when you become a great media buyer because you start really start, you really start understanding how do I slice and dice the data? How do I angle it different? And that's where you're going to find opportunity because I can guarantee you, if you're just starting out, that is where you're going to need to be unless you have tons and tons of budget to compete against razor thin margins and a lot of competitors on the very obvious platforms. Okay. Well, interesting. I never thought about selling a mail product or or something for mails on Pinterest, but I think that could be a good challenge for people learning. I mean, I guess, you know, if you have a 10 or $15 budget a day, it's very little, but you know, that first sale that you make could be, you know, you're onto something and it always happens like that. You want one sale, two sales. And then if you can prove that you can make a couple of sales, it's a bit of tweaking. So that's, that's interesting. I mean, the the interesting thing here also i just kind of want to go back to this cuz now i'm i'm a little bit curious but you know about media buying uh you were affiliate manager we spoke earlier and you mentioned something about payment processing so can you tell me a little bit about your path cuz it seems like there's a lot of stuff here that we need to uh, unwrap and and unravel like tell me a little bit of your path in the last you know decade or so and and how you've gone from one thing to another with you know seemingly a lot of ease you know, I wouldn't say a lot of ease. I am, I'm certainly a person that like, I fundamentally believe you can learn anything. So that's, so that's really how I've done a lot of things. So I can code in Python. I can, I can build websites, you know, within my organization, I'm probably the only individual who can do every single tactical skill set personally. Um, and that's been my philosophy. I just, I don't like, I don't think I could ever hire someone if I can't do it myself. And so um, originally I was a VP of finance and then I was a management consultant for three or four companies. Um, and then I was a CEO of actually an ad technology company, which is where I really started to learn about the the, the, the dark side of, uh, of the ad networks. Yes. Um, and then what ended up happening was pri- prior to my management consulting moving to Toronto, I had a bit of a break and, um, and honestly, I was bored um, <laughs> and I learned about affiliate marketing. And so I was like, you know what? This is a great way to make a lot of money. And by the way, uh, it is a great way to make a lot of money. It is incredibly risky. Um, You know, you could easily make 20 to 30% of your money every single month, but that's wholly dependent on someone that you probably aren't really great friends with paying you. Um, So there's a lot of stress involved in in affiliate media buying. And so so I kind of went to that. And when I left the ad technology company, I ended up building Find Your Audience, which was honestly a blend of everything that I've done throughout my entire life. And so now we work with like some of the largest enterprises in Canada, because again, um, I kind of look at marketing as a function that applies to every business, uh, much like affiliate buying in the sense that there's a tactic that works for every business and, and it's going to work really, really well. And so I've taken just all of these, these learnings I've had across multiple different careers and professions that I've had, and I've really tried to apply it to um to 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 the organizations we work with. And I'll give you a great example of this. Um yeah. we pitched Kraft Heinz pre-COVID. It's one of my favorite campaigns I was I was going to do and then COVID happened. Okay. Um, but we pitched Kraft Heinz on doing a Jello campaign and we were actually we we actually had a signed uh we actually had an agreed quote and we were going to sign a PO, but we were the only company that didn't pitch them a new packaging. And and I tell this to people and they're like, well, well, that doesn't make sense. I was like, it's because they already have packaging. They probably have three to four months worth of packaging. And so if you're going to pitch packaging to a company that already has three to four months of packaging, you know what that means? 
it's just money gone, yeah, wasted. It's just a ton of wasted cash. So we didn't touch the packaging at all. And they liked that because we were mindful of their business. We were mindful of their operations. So it's, it's again, just a very different perspective of like what I think a traditional marketer does. Well, it's interesting because, you know, usually the marketers that I know, and they're very creative and with creativity, sometimes comes irresponsibility uh, of like fund management and so forth. So a lot of times the, the greatest marketers need an operations guy. That's like a finance, like boring. We call it like, you know, a tie person, suit and tie kind of person where it keeps them in line so it's interesting that you you know you're 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 leading marketing teams which have this finance like background and uh you know and that that kind of keeps it real and it keeps also uh you know people having a realistic scope in their marketing like marketers again they have sometimes some very wild dreams but uh, it's good to dream but it's also good to um scope out a project and make sure this makes sense. Like we're going to make money. This is not just, um, you know, a stab in the dark, um, kind of moving from, from this, just because, you know, uh, about your experience building teams and so on and so forth. Like there are a lot of agencies and then there's building a team in house. Um, how does one decide what is the best, best path? I mean, it's very difficult for me personally. I've had some like very nightmarish experiences with marketing agencies. So I'm like, uh, uh-uh, not going there. I'm just going to hire a couple of people. I feel like that's a better option for me. Um, I've been burned too many times. I think mainly because I, I was sold on something. I didn't know the right questions to ask. I just, paid some money and waited for results and didn't get them. And then was like, I have no idea how this is working. So how do we avoid these pitfalls? And and what are your thoughts on in-house versus outsourced agencies for marketing? The first thing I would say is hire an advisor, whether that's me, whether that's anyone, preferably not some random person on Upwork to give you an hour of advice. And hopefully they have a resume worthwhile for you to listen to them. So um, I think that's the first thing I say to anyone, because I find you know, why we do so well is because a lot of organizations make marketing decisions without any marketing leadership. So it's like, it's kind of like, how does that make any sense? So to put this in other words, would you trust um, a marketing person to give you tax advice? So it's like, but but you'd have a whole bunch of C-suite people who have never done marketing in their life and be like, we need this marketer. And you're just like, where did you, like, what hat did you pull that out of? No one actually questions them. Right, it just happens, and so there's there's these these terrible experiences that you have had, and 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 often. So what I would recommend is, generally speaking, and I and this is a broad stroke, but I would say that it I confidently say that it fits most organizations. Most organizations aren't going to have a practical and good marketing department until you can afford three or four in-house people. Okay, approximately. The first hire and your second hire are the most awkward hires you ever will will ever have because they are likely going to never do enough and they are likely never going to do whatever you need the best because you're going to because you're never going to have that person tactically do something 100% of the time so you end up kind of discounting and 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 finding someone who has like half the talent and a bit of project management skills and all these things but you're never going to get good enough so generally speaking, I, I I would recommend that you get a semi kind of senior person. I'm not saying senior, senior, like director or VP, I'm talking about just a senior manager, three or four years, has experience in marketing, but they're just really an overpaid coordinator. That's what I'm going to call them. Okay. Um, and that is to ensure that your marketing actually moves forward. So that person is accountable for your marketing. 
on a very low level, uh, ideally, if you're a small organization, you can only afford one. You have this person anywhere between fifty to $65,000. You, the owner, drives the marketing vision. This person is accountable. And then ideally, you parse out the tactical things to particular agencies that are hopefully the best at what they do. Um, when you get the two, I almost want you to skip the two because I can't more, almost every company that I've ever known who hires the second one is just thoroughly disappointed because they try to hire a coordinator or they try to hire someone who's super technical and then it just doesn't do what they do. So I still say find an agency, um, but likely now find an agency that's capable of supporting everything about your organization. So a bit more of a full service agency and ideally one that has a track record. Um, when you can afford three or four, then you can start. Then you can really start thinking about bringing things in house because then you're going to have a manager. Now you're going to have a coordinator, and you're likely going to have someone who's going to be tactically sufficient in whatever area you need the most, whether that's content writing or you know event coordination because you're throwing lots of events or you're doing a lot of graphic design and your sales team needs a lot of support. Like ideally, you find someone who you can actually maximize, and they're actually the best at what they do. Um, and then, and then ideally, sooner or later, you add in like a media buyer or a demand generator for for kind of a part time role. That's what I would recommend. And 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 I know that's probably not what everyone wants to hear because I think a lot of people want to uh, assume this like first hire is going to be like being able to do everything. Uh, yeah. If if anyone ever gets a chance, I have a graph. You can you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to send it. But it's a graph of like every department or function that marketing has to do. And I can guarantee you, you <laughs> see this graph, you're not going to find someone who does this, and you're not going to find them for sixty thousand dollars. That's much. Like so so yeah. so you're going to find them for like two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and you don't want that person doing all this tactical work anyways. So um, I, I feel like just a lot of people have an overblown perception as to like. Us marketers make it so easy to assume everything is easy that then all the people that assume when they hire us that they think it's easy for us to do. But that's a lie. That was our job. <laughs> but that job is actually a lot harder to do. Well, I mean, you know, and and with experience and this, I, I come across this often when I'm doing consulting. I do consulting from here to, you know, sometimes keep it keep it slim. Uh, usually I consult for companies that are doing, you know, at least half a million dollars a month in sales because that's where I could provide value, you know, the, the little percentages here and there. And I find that sometimes something that takes me, you know, 10 minutes, literally I'm like, here, change this setting. Let's test it. And like 10 minutes to kind of 10, let's say an hour to implement something. And then a little bit, like very little time in, in considering. Um, we're still, I think in the mindset oftentimes as business owners or so, is that how much time did it take? It doesn't matter how much time it took. If the end result is that you got X amount extra conversions you know, pay for results, I guess. And that's, you know, that's what I'm getting at here from you is that, you know, you get a a person and, you know, I'd like you to send us actually the link so we could pop it onto the podcast of that, that graph that you were talking about. But, you know, if you do hire somebody who's a $250,000 employee, you don't want him to be alone or her to be alone because you want them to, to outsource the stuff that's easy to do to somebody who is making 30, 40, 50,000 a year and can do that. And you want them to focus on the high level. So, I mean, it's interesting that you say you either hire one to kind of manage things with agencies or you go straight to three and four to, to build a, a functional team. So um, if, if, if we kind of continue along on this path on agencies and so forth, how does one 
ask the right questions. If, you know, like, for example, I'm not a marketer per se, you know, I work in payment processing. I know my business very well. I know what, you know, what the vibe is of the business, like what I want people to know about us, about direct payment and my team. But I go to a marketing agency and I, 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 I tell you, I tried about four or five times and I'm like, it literally was just a waste of money every time. And, it, and forget the money. The issue for me was how much time they were taking in trying to get to know me, trying to get to know the business, trying to get to know things about, you know, where we want to go to waste all that time to not see the results was extremely frustrating. So maybe you can guide me personally and tell me what, what should I be asking these agencies? What should I be looking for? So, so, so I think let's go back to the, what should you be looking for? So I think that's the important thing. It's like, what, what are you ultimately looking for inside of an agency is going to be obviously where you want to start. Okay. Um, you know, I think, I think narrowing it down into a tactical skill set, it's probably going to make your life a little easier in the sense of knowing how to scope that work and to ensure that that scope of work is easily measurable um, and easy for you to to really um, observe and and manage yourself. So you know, for, I, I hate using this, but like SEO is a great example. You can be like, hey, I'm looking for an SEO agency. So an SEO agency is defined by outreach and kind of backlinking type activities, along with a content calendar, along with content writing, and then all of this should equate to hopefully either a better Google search rankings. Or B, B, you know, essentially conversions coming from those Google search rankings, or C, an overall increase in brand lift uh, through Google Search Console on the website, and those are all very measurable, right? Yeah. And the reality is, is that discovery for that should take no more than two weeks max. And realistically, okay. even by the second week, they could parallel, they could do a parallel parallel workflow to essentially start the work. Um, if you go with an agency like myself, I will have to take two to three weeks. Why? Because generally speaking, we represent the entire marketing department. So okay. if I start throwing tactics at you, like, so, so maybe this is something that you should, this is a red flag. So, um, you know, if, if you're dating uh, some agencies and you're, you're looking around, this is a red flag. They start prescribing tactics and they haven't done a thorough discovery with you. You probably know they have no idea what they're doing. Um, yeah. Because the way I say this is because all tactics work for every organization. That's not the point. The point is, is what tactics work best for your organization. And that's why discovery is so important. That's why understanding what has worked and what hasn't worked, understanding your industry, understanding your pain points, understanding your friction points, understanding the customer journey. That's why all of that's so important because there's going to be low hanging fruit all over the, that process. Um, so if you go to an agency and they're like, you need to do SEO, you need to do content, you should do email marketing. Oh, have you done a podcast yet? Oh, by the way, have you looked at TikTok? They say this like right off the bat, you should run for the hills. Okay. Interesting. Run for the hills. Because, <laughs> because, because that means they're just selling what they're good at. They have no idea whether or not it works in your industry. Mm. Right. Um, now, the one flip side is unless you're very specifically looking for one of those things that they are prescribing to you, sure. But if, if you're going into an agency that's supposed to advise and assist in consulting you on the best approaches, mm -hmm. anyone who prescribes things from day one, it's a person who has no idea what they're doing. They're, they're, they're selling their own snake oil. And, and realistically, like they have to do discovery to, to know what's best for you. So uh, the discovery part, albeit frustrating, Maria, I think yeah. is a very important part. Um, and, and I would say on a larger discovery, especially for us, where we literally own and like we're fully accountable for the marketing function, fully accountable for the goals, fully accountable for the budget and KPIs, we have to do like a two to three week 
kind of discovery. But that being okay. said, we're also working, right? So the first day, Maria, if, if you and I were working together, I'd be like, send me all your decks and then I'll start the discovery. And then by the week two or week three, I'm already going to send you back decks, brand new decks that are fully refabbed, right? Oh. Case studies, proof points, things like that. So like I said, there's always like low hanging fruit you can work, but the discovery has to get done. Hmm, interesting. So let, let's let's kind of test your 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 marketing kind of genius here. Let's talk about uh you know a marketing campaign, a popular one. Um, I mean, there's 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 tons that we can we can think of, but can you think of one marketing campaign like a big one? Apple, Tesla, Nike, Adidas, one of the big ones. Um, and can you tell us a little bit about you know, why something is brilliant or what what your thoughts are on the campaign and why it was thought out. This is a little bit of a case study. I'm just curious to see kind of your thinking of how you dissect uh, a marketing campaign. Um, so the way I like to dissect a marketing campaign is whether or not you can make it um, relevant, timely, and have scale. And there's a couple of good examples of this. Um, one, I think Tesla is a good example. Okay. Um, the, the, the truck and the rock and the window, like the amount of impressions that he got from that mistake or not. Yeah. Brilliant. Right. Very timely, very relevant, shared the truck image everywhere. And, and like the amount of, you know, media exposure and amplification you got from that, was just like, you, you can't put a number around that. Like it became yeah. a meme, but everyone wanted to order the truck. <laughs> So, so that's a great example. Um, another one would actually be Peloton with Ryan Reynolds, and um, yeah. and and the and the whole like I got you a Peloton because you got to lose weight, and like I don't know if you remember that whole viral I, thing. I remember. I mean, the, the thing about Peloton, um, you know, I, they they had that debacle with the Sex in the City. Like I actually watched the show Sex in the City, um, and I was excited for the reboot. You know not a big fan anymore, but the original series, big fan. So I was excited for the reboot. You know, the first episode, um, sorry, spoiler, but it's been out for a couple of years, guys. But, you know, a big dies, who's the central character right after he gets on a Peloton. And I'm just like sitting there, obviously, as you know, somebody who's involved with a lot of marketers, I'm like, that's deadly. Like, why would they allow this? Like, he's literally on a Peloton, biking, gets off, has a heart attack and dies. And I'm like, with, like, I mean, I'm assuming this is intentional because they paid for the spa, but like, what are you telling me that I get on a Peloton, I'm going to die? <laughs> so I know the Ryan Reynolds, um, you know, spin to it, but as yeah, a consumer. So, 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 so Peloton's manager, marketing manager, I'm sorry if you're listening to this, you failed. Like you needed yeah. to ask how the product was being placed. Yes. I don't know what contract you signed, but maybe you signed a contract would just say you're going to get placed and it's going to have X amount of, uh, you know, screen time, which yes. is sometimes the thing that you don't really have creative control, but like, you know, probably not the best creative control on that one, yeah. but, but for Ryan Reynolds, right. He, he, he took that actress who was basically being called fat. Yes. By her partner. I can't remember if it was a partner or a husband. Right. And then he's, and he put, put her right into a commercial like immediately. And it was hilarious. Because yeah. it was funny and it was very memorable and everyone yeah. enjoyed it. And the amount of additional impressions you got from it from making fun of it was, was massive. So all of this has one key theme. The key theme is if you don't... So first of all, anyone can do um, exaggerated creative marketing um, that has really no relevancy. So For anyone sure. can do that. So, so that's not hard. What's hard is 
can you do one that is the same on the extreme of creativity so that it is so memorable, so shareable, but also relevant at the same time? That's when you get like really amazing marketing. Um, and, and, and the way that I truly kind of like fundamentally look at amazing marketing is, can it generate conversations? And if it can generate a conversation, then you probably know your ad is pretty good. If your creative is so good that someone wants to talk about it, you've won. Well, let, let, let me, let me kind of interject here. Okay. Yeah. Let's play devil's advocate here. So, I mean, fundamentally, I agree. It's kind of the old saying of like, uh, no press is bad press. You yeah. know what I mean? So, um, I get it, but okay. Let me give you an example in here about this, you know, Budweiser, Budweiser did something that was, you know, cringe. I think for, for, you know, when I think of Budweiser, I think of middle-aged man, very like, you know, very alpha kind of thing, very set in his ways, not, you know, I'm not saying everybody, but like a big majority of people. That's what I think when I think Budweiser, they went and they obviously hired a trans um, person to, to market Budweiser. And I was like, that is like the opposite of their market. Most of their market, I would think is not very open-minded. They're not open-minded people. So Obviously, they got a lot of publicity, but I'm not sure it was the right kind of publicity. I think it actually might have backfired. So, what do you think about that? Like, what do you I, what do you think about I, these types I'll, of? I'll try. I I want to be I want to be very open about this and and be yes. and be respectful. And and I think one of the things that's really important is you know I can understand on a marketing data analytics perspective why they did that. Um, there's a trend, there's a new market, we're a dying brand, we're not penetrating the market anymore, there's too many competitors, there's too many craft fine people, we gotta new, we gotta win something. There's a blue ocean, no one's doing it. It's like yeah. so like on paper, like financially, it's like, oh my god, this is the golden egg, right? Yeah. And I'm sure that's probably what happened at some presentation. They're like, look at this juicy market that no one has, and they're yeah. like, we need to do an ad on that. That's fine. What they really screwed the pooch on, okay, is if you're going to take a stance. You better take a stance. Yeah. Because the moment you don't take a stance is the moment you're no longer authentic. And so they lost authenticity instantly because it went out. They got massive backlash, which happens when you make a stance. Like if you make a stance on anything, you're going to get some backlash. Okay. That's just, that's just life. Yeah. Um, especially if it's a large stance. Okay. And then they, and then they shriveled up into a ball and disappeared. They're like, oh, no, oh, God, you're, uh, you're, you, you, you got to resign or you got to step down for a little bit. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, we weren't thinking. So yeah, they had somebody resign, and then I think the, they stopped the, the, the campaign with the, the, the first female marketing manager, whatever her name was, yeah. and they, they, they disappeared. Right. So the attempt to be authentic was destroyed immediately, which then causes a bit of a a reflexive, uh, like kind of. Uh, perception, right? So if you think about it, you try to be genuine, you do the worst thing to show you're genuine. So then the public perception is even going to be worse. Yeah. The reality is, is that they should have managed it better by maintaining their stance and talking mm. about the stats of why they made that decision versus shying away and blaming someone. And then also like they blamed the one person that they, they have literally celebrated within their organization, which mm -hmm. is going to backfire for years, 
right? It's yeah. gonna it's it's gonna go on forever. So three or four years from now, they could have probably won the market if they continued the stance because it is a stance. And so long as the stats and the market make sense, it could have worked. But because they literally backed away, now everyone knows it was purely a capitalistic perspective. They don't actually care about me. They don't actually care about our us. Well, um, I agree. But I mean, just like the fundamentals of it is like, you know, you're going from one market that's all the way on one end, and then you're going to another market that's on the polarizing end, and then you're trying to merge two campaigns. So for me, I was like, why didn't they try like, I don't know, the wives of these people that are drinking beer instead? You know what I mean? Because that would have been logical if my husband likes Budweiser target me. So maybe I want to drink a Budweiser versus... You know, somebody who's like, you know, these are fundamentally people who disagree with the way that they live, regardless of, you know, what everybody else thinks about it. I feel like, yes, it's a cash grab. But at what point do you say, well, our market is, you know, white males uh, between this age and this age that like to, you know, maybe that have high school education and stuff like that. And let's stick to that market and let's tap that market as much as we can and maybe go for for side markets. Why does everybody have to, you know go for the super liberal, uh, we love love everyone kind of market, right? I, I think it has to do likely. So going back to the, the example of like the wives, yeah. one, it's probably already a saturated market. Two, it's probably not big enough for them to care. Yeah. Um, so, so, so likely like, so like, if you look at their brand, it's, it's a dying yeah. brand. Um, I don't know how fast they're dying, but they're dying. So, so likely the decision was what moves the needle. And if it doesn't move the needle, we can't do it. So, so if 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 this side of of the world is is growing at a very exponential rate, and no one's serving them, and and they don't have a brand that they can they can attach themselves to, that's that's going to move the needle. Especially yeah. if this is moving the needle downward. So, like doing the wives probably wasn't was like, and no offense to wives, but probably <laughs> just too difficult, and also not large enough for them to care. Okay. So, so I think that's probably why. Do you think that it was maybe just a media play? Like when do client, like, you know how you mentioned about Elon Musk just right before, like that was just a marketing play. Like we all know that this was just to get free media, right? So yeah. do you think maybe this thing with Budweiser was for them to get free media and it backfired? And 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 actually, let me ask one further question. When can you use that? When can you use that type of marketing? So the that gets on the borderline of like what I call ethical and unethical like PR and marketing. And I think there are times and places for that, like where yeah. you do teaser launches, like cell phones do this all the time. Oh my God, our phone launched, but like realistically, like they've already leaked it. Um, so, so like that's like slightly unethical because they're creating buzz, but it's not really through like a, like a real great channel. Um, and so, so I, there are, there is a time and place for it. I, I don't think they did that on purpose. Um, I think if the, I, I can't possibly imagine that the statistics or the research behind it showed a brand lift, meaning like you, they probably had a brand lift in the sense that people are talking about them, but generally the perception would have been lower. So yeah. probably not a net win for them. So I can't imagine that one being, you know, when, when is it, when is it worth it? You know, the only times I would say it's worth it is when you do leaks. Um, if you do a very strategic leak strategy, there's there's value to that. Okay. Um, Kardashians. You give me, you, okay. I was just going to say, give me an example. Kardashians. Yeah. Just track product launches of the Kardashians and the leaks of their personal lives. And you'll find that there's a little bit of a 
coincidental launch of things always right so leak of a relationship cheating oh i'm launching a fashion line right after (laughs) leak of another basketball player cheating on me oh i'm launching another product yeah if you actually map this out there's there's some timing things that makes you wonder Okay. Well, yeah. the the Kardashians are uh, a marvel of marketing, right? Like we can't deny that. Obviously, they, they it's a marketing machine. Like that's basically uh, marketing at its best. But I mean, this was this this was really fascinating. I thought that you know um, all your experience and stuff like that. I love, like I said, I love the kind of serious marketer uh, kind of angle because it's always we meet a lot of creative types and I like that finance background. So we'll put your information down below, Nathan. So uh, if anybody wants to contact Nathan, you know, check out the, the details below. And again, if you like this episode, please like, subscribe and share for more great content. Thank you again, Nathan, for your time. Thanks, Maria. Hope you found today's session valuable. If you have any questions for me or just want to connect, please feel free to visit my website, mariasparagis.com. That's M-A-R-I-A-S-P-A-R-A-G-I-S.com. I'd love to hear what you're working on. So drop me a line on any hot button issues your business is experiencing. And remember, don't worry about failure. You only have to be right once.